you can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi there, I'm Lori McGoodwin, founder and CEO of Career Contessa, and you're listening to the Females Podcast Summer School Edition. This season, we're heading back to school, career school that is, with experts here to teach us the ins and outs of specific topics. Today's teacher is Julie Zhu, author of The Making of a Manager, and now one of Silicon Valley's top product design executives at Facebook. Julie started her career in tech as an intern and became a rookie manager at 25. She felt lost and unprepared to succeed in this new role. Could she really be a great manager with almost no prior managerial experience? What did being a manager exactly entail? Had they made a mistake in promoting her? Julie was excited about the idea of being a leader, but didn't know where or how to really even begin. Fast forward to today with Julie having been a leader for quite some time, she's decided to help others with her new book, The Making of a Manager. And we brought her on to talk about one of the hardest transitions, going from an independent contributor to a manager. Julie cuts through the industry jargon with actionable tips that we can't wait to share with you. And because we're here for that real talk advice, be sure to stick around until after Julie's teachable moment, because we'll be answering your listener questions, starting with, should you stick around for a promised promotion, even if your work culture is toxic? You can submit your career questions for us to answer on future episodes by leaving us a voicemail at 844-FEMALES. And now this is the Females Summer School Edition. Hi, Julie. Thanks for joining us today. Hi, I'm so excited to be here. So tell us what inspired you to write The Making of a Manager. So the story starts about five years ago when I decided to start a blog. And the reason I started a blog was because I was I had this fear. I, it sounded like the scariest thing I could do because I was really afraid of kind of putting my opinion out there in front of a large group of people and just letting it sit. And I knew that I had you know, struggled with this a little bit at the, uh, at the workplace. And I just wanted to set this goal for myself. So I ended up, you know, saying as a new year's resolution that I wanted to write an article every week for a year. And that meant just hitting the publish button 52 times through the course of that year. And I, you know, used it as a chance to kind of practice again, understanding my thoughts, formulating them, you know, and, and, and just being okay with whether people thought they were right or wrong. And through the course of that year, I discovered some amazing things. I discovered how much I love writing, how much it helped me clarify my thoughts. 
but also you know just how much the the stuff that I was talking about, namely the struggles and the challenges that I was going through, you know, the things about being feeling like an imposter or you know feeling like I was struggling with you know this aspect of my career and I didn't know what to do. Um, learning how much that resonated and and uh, with other readers, people all over the world who worked in you know v- various industries, uh, and that inspired me to you know continue to write, and over time you know to to work on a topic that uh, was very near and dear to my heart, which is you know as an early career leader, as someone who might be managing for the first time or stepping up into a leadership role for the first time, you know how do you get through that? How do you, uh, you know, just understand all of the things that make up the job of managing a team? And how do you, even more importantly, you know, uh, discover that confidence in yourself to be able to go out and uh, know what to do, even when most of the time you don't really feel like you know what you're trying to do? Right. Absolutely. And how long had you been a manager at that time when you started your blog? I had been managing for about five or so years, five or six years. Oh, wow. Okay. So five years of management. So you basically had been learning lessons kind of the hard way or as you go, and then you decided to kind of write about them. Yes. And I was very lucky to be able to start my career and, you know, continue to, to kind of be at a place where, uh, you know, I work at Facebook. I was Facebook's very first intern, uh, so you know, crazy. back when <laughs> it was a startup and, uh, you know, at, at a high growth company, you know, there's, you're constantly put in situations uh, that you've never faced before, but you're also given, you know, great opportunities to be able to stretch and grow and learn on the job. And, you know, looking back, you know, for where I was at the age of 25, uh, you know, this is kind of the book of advice and, and all of the things that I wish I knew uh, to kind of help me in those early days. So, uh, you know, hopefully uh, other people don't have to learn exactly through all of the mistakes that, that I went through. Right. Absolutely. And also, um, since you had been a manager and obviously now you're working at, you know, Facebook's much, much larger now, have you received any like, um, quote unquote, like professional leadership training, or has this all really been learning on the job? Yes. Over the years, uh, you know, and, and even today I receive a lot of, you know, training informal, formal, uh, you know, just that when I started at the company, we were a very small startup. And so, you know, our focus was on just building a product and, you know, making sure that we could do the best job that we can and to be able to grow and, and build the business. And so, you know, when you're a, a couple hundred dozen people, a couple hundred people, you know, it's, it's not like you have robust infrastructure in your company, you know, and, and mm-hmm. huge training programs. And, and all of that, you know, it, it's a little bit more, you're just trying to get by and do the best that you can and, you know, tackle the problems as they come. Right. I, I love that you were the very first intern at Facebook. That's just like, what an incredible, well, one, what a like incredible title that you get to say, because now, of course, you know, Facebook. Facebook means something very different today than it did, I'm sure, back when you were an intern. But um, also, it's incredible that you've been able to grow and stick with the company, and now you get to write a book, and that's going to help people. So I'm just having a moment where I'm like, well, it's just so full circle for you. Okay, so let's talk about management because I, I saw, I mean, I'm also someone who is a manager, and I've, I managed you know, one or two people maybe before, and now I manage a team that's much larger. So I'm really fascinated in everything related to management. But one of the things specifically for management is that, like, how do you prepare to make that transition from an independent contributor 
to a manager? And how do you know that management is a good fit? Because I do think there's a lot of people who become managers because they're really good at the job. Is that mm-hmm. always, should we, should it always go that way? Or how do you know that management's something that you might be interested in? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I have basically two important questions uh, that I ask people when they tell me they're interested in management. And the reason I ask these questions is because I want to know that people, you know, if, if they end up you know, transitioning into the role, that they're going to be happy, that they're going to be fulfilled. And, you know, a lot of times we grow up with this impression that management is just how you advance your career. Right. It's, you know, it's, it's how you get more pay. It's how you, you know, be able to have the impact that you've always dreamed of having. It just sort of feels like maybe something you have to do if you want to achieve other goals. And, uh, you know, what I think is so awesome about working in the industry I work in and, you know, and today where we talk a lot about creative professionals is that when, you know, when your job is, is such that, you know, you can be creative and you can, you know, make progress by coming up with better ideas than anyone else, you don't necessarily have to be a manager or you don't have to, you know, uh, grow a team in order to continue to grow your career and have impact and, you know, get that promotion or so forth. Um, and so, you know, I've, I find that today, you know, oftentimes people have more options, right? And and they can decide, you know, whether or not management is right for them or they can also choose to continue to grow and deepen their impact as an individual contributor. But going back to those two questions, the first question is simply, you know, do you feel like you'll get more satisfaction and fulfillment out of a team achieving a particular outcome? Or do you, do you prefer to play a particular role in getting to that outcome? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the reason and I think it's so important, with yourself. <laughs> yes, is, is that because I think the thing that distinguishes, you know, the management manager's job from the individual contributor's job is that as a manager, you, your job is to get great outcomes from mm-hmm. your team. Your job is to be a multiplicative effect for the people on your team so that, you know, you can achieve your goals together and you can, you know, do work better, of higher quality, more efficiently, you know, than you could before or, or maybe with somebody else at the, at the helm at that management role. And so that does mean that you kind of have to, you know, figure out what you need to do day by day based on what your team needs. And so as an example, if my team were down four or five people, then the most impactful thing I could do as a manager is to focus 80% of my time on recruiting. Now, it doesn't matter if I don't like recruiting, if it doesn't matter, you know, if, if like, you know, there's something else I'd rather be doing. This is what I need to do if my if if I'm trying to work on this outcome of my team being more successful, and you know, and other days, you know, if, if you know all of my my roles are filled, but you know, we, people are telling me that it's hard to get work done because we don't have the right process, then I'm going to put on my process hat and I'm going to go and figure out you know meeting structure and you know how we you know uh, take care of tasks things like that. Or if, you know, two people on my team are disagreeing and there's a lot of conflict, there's a lot of tension and that's impacting everyone else's work, then I'm going to put on my, you know, coach hat and I'm going to spend a lot of time with those people and that's what I need to do. Mm-hmm. And that's very different than, you know, me because uh, my, my, my job previously was as a designer. 
And as a designer, you know, there are certain problems that I love. I love going deep on systems. I might love, you know, brainstorming. Okay, we got this hard user experience problem. Okay, what's the best solution? And, uh, you know, some days I can't talk about that at all. I, that's not what I need to focus on because that's not yeah. what my team needs. As an individual contributor, I can continue to hone those skills and just, uh, you know, be able to do that portion of the job in order to impact my team. And so it's just, it's really a matter of like, okay, what are you going to be able to get that satisfaction out of and are and you know are you going to kind of enjoy or at least not mind the variability that comes from being a manager versus an individual contributor right so that's the first question and then the second thing is just i mean namely do you like working with and through other people and I think that is just an important kind of, you know, question to get a gut check on because I know there are some people for whom their perfect day is they get four or five hours to focus on a problem and be by themselves and just, you know, work on, you know, producing a document or a design or code or whatever it is. And the reality of a manager's job is, you know, you are kind of working through your team. And so you are going to be in a lot of meetings. And if the idea of spending half of your day or even more just in with different groups of people, you know, whether in one-on-ones or with small groups or even with large groups, and that just sounds really unappealing to you, then, you know, you may actually struggle with uh, finding the day-to-day of management satisfying. Mm-hmm. Hey there, let's take a quick break to talk about today's sponsor, Elizabeth and Clark. If you've been listening to the female summer school episodes, you've probably heard me talk about Elizabeth and Clark, my new go-to for workwear. Not only are all of Elizabeth and Clark's pieces made with their unstainable fibers, but they also have tons of details made just for women in mind. From instant pant hems to gap snaps for their button-up shirts, just completely genius in my opinion. But I want to talk to you about my favorite feature this summer and a heat-stroked Los Angeles summer that we're in right now. There's nothing worse than sweating right through your work clothes. The jackets feature sweat-proof linings that wick moisture away from the skin without leaving you with embarrassing pit stains in the middle of that really important presentation. For someone who's always on the run, often moving swiftly with a cup of coffee in hand, Elizabeth and Clark's sweat and stain-proof pieces mean that I don't have to worry about spilling coffee or sweltering in my business clothes. I'd highly recommend the Liz Lemon Unstainable. That's right, that Liz Lemon. I've worn it a few times through this sweltering summer and is as white and unstained as the day it arrived on my doorstep. I have never been able to say that about any white shirt. On top of that, every piece that Elizabeth and Clark makes is classic and elegant, and they work seamlessly from the conference room straight through after work cocktails. Clearly, I'm a huge fan because they have really changed the way I feel about work clothes. I'm confident Elizabeth and Clark will do the same for you. Get started with 10% off your first unstainable order using the promo code FEMALES10 at checkout on unstainable.com. That's unstainable.com. Add some great items to your cart and put in FEMALES10 at checkout. All right, now let's get back to the show. So that, I think having two questions that you can ask people that they can filter for themselves, I think that's great. I'm curious for people who are going from the independent contributor to a manager, if they're asking themselves those questions and they basically want to say, you know, they're like, no, that's not how I want to spend my day. How should they turn it down, but still, you know, grow their career? I mean, what if they do have a manager or a boss who's like, 
well, this is sort of the next step to to step up and, you know, to lead people. And if you've decided, you've, if you've filtered through using these questions and decided that's not for you, how do you politely decline without, you know, losing the, the next step in your career? Yeah. Well, you mentioned a really interesting word, which is lead people. And I want to draw a distinction between leadership and management. And so the way that I look at it, there's, let's draw a big, you know, let's draw a Venn diagram, right? There's one big circle and that let's call that management. And I think of management as a particular role, you know, just like you're, let's say a heart surgeon or a teacher, right? It's a job with its own set of responsibilities. And then let's draw another circle for individual contributor, you know, and that has its own role, set of responsibilities, you know, et cetera. And there is a big area that overlaps in the middle, you know, and regardless of whether you decide to go down the manager path or you decide to grow, you know, in your career as an individual contributor, the, pa- the, the area in the middle that overlaps, that's leadership. And you're going to need to learn to be a leader and you're going to need to learn to be, you know, someone who can influence and impact other people, someone that others want to follow, someone that others respect in order to grow your career in either dimension. And so it's not like you can only be a leader if you're a manager. Certainly people who are successful managers should have strong leadership skills because they're not going to be very effective if nobody wants to listen to them. But the same is true. You know, imagine that you are let's say in my, in my profession, right? You're a designer. Okay. So you grow your skills in design and eventually, you know, you become uh, a creative director or a kind of a, a systems architect, right? And it's, you know, you're just the best at coming up with great design systems, but it's going to be rare that you're going to, you know, be tweaking every pixel yourself. Right. Ideally, you know, you would also have a number of designers on your team that you can lead through your work, through your uh, mentorship, through your direction, and you have to learn how to do that and, and to be able to work through them. And so, you know, there is a lot of parallels in kind of growing your career. And so if someone says, look, I, I never want to work through other people and, you know, I, I, I just kind of wanted to there, it probably will be a little bit more limiting in terms of, you know, even if you decide to be an individual contributor, it might still limit your growth um, you know, on that particular career path. Because the truth of the matter is, you know, a lot of the world, the way that that stuff happens is through other people. And so the person who can rally a group of people towards a common cause, the person who can, you know, mentor and train other people to, to, to great work, the person who can, you know, just coordinate and make a group of people, you know, successfully accomplish something. Those are still important qualities and skills to learn, regardless of whether it's your full-time job, you know, managing careers and teams, or whether you're still growing on the individual contributor path. Right. Well, I'm happy you said that just because I don't think we should sugarcoat it and make it sound like, no, if you don't want to do that, you'll you'll be fine. You'll you can be the CEO one day. Because you're right. The majority of things that happen in the world happen because of collaborating with other people. So that's a great answer. What are some of the misconceptions that a lot of managers have about their job? job versus independent contributors? The first thing that I would say, and I made this mistake, I had this mindset for years, is that managers need to be authoritative and, you know, come across extremely confident all the time and, uh, you know, kind of dictate how things should be. And I think, you know, and I think we, we may have that impression because, you know, maybe that's what we see in our own leaders or it's what we see on TV and movies and pop culture, or maybe because that's the experience that we've had with our past managers. 
And I know certainly that when I became, when I first transitioned into a manager, you know, even though I felt, oh, I don't really know what I'm doing or, you know, uh, I'm not sure how to really make this decision or look at this scenario. I kind of pretended like I did, uh, you know, I would, I would, you know, sort of show up and, and I'd be like, oh, of course, you know, we should do X or Y and, and kind of try and sound really confident about it. And what I learned is actually that creates, uh, you know, that does a lot of things that, that were negative. The first is that it creates actually more distance between me and the people who were reporting to me. And part of it is because as humans, you know, we're generally pretty good at sussing out authenticity, and whether a leader is coming across, you know, uh, kind of truthfully and, and, and one of the things that, you know, breeds authenticity or, you know, uh, uh, creates authenticity is when leaders can be, um, honest and vulnerable and sometimes they know the answer and sometimes they don't. And if they can say that and they can, you know, rally other people to kind of help them get to that answer, that actually ends up building a lot more trust. I think the second reason, uh, you know, the second mistake is that, you know, actually the job of a manager isn't to somehow pretend like they're better at a skill or a thing than, you know, the, the, the people on their team. I remember that, you know, when I first transitioned, um, I was having a one-on-one with one of my reports, you know, somebody who had just been a peer of mine, uh, prior to that transition. And I remember feeling so awkward about it because, you know, I considered this person a better designer than I am. You know, he had more years of experience. You know, he, he, uh, you know, produced work that I really admired for a long time. And I really, I felt like there was nothing I could offer him because, wow, you know, he's so much better uh, at this skill. Like, how can I possibly help this guy? And what I wish I knew is that, you know, even people who are the best at their game can benefit from coaching. I mean, if you look at the top elite athletes in the world, you know, if you think about Tiger Woods, who just won his fifth masters, all of those people have coaches and there's coaches aren't somehow better than them at the sport, but it just goes to show that everyone can benefit from someone who pushes them, who helps them understand, you know, maybe the things that they're not aware of, who, you know, helps uh, is a sounding board to kind of talk to, uh, you know, about the things that they're going through and who basically just encourages and helps them get to a better performance. And that's what a coach is. And if I had, could have gone back and talked to that, you know, report who was formerly a peer of mine, what I wish I had said is just, you know, I'm new to this job. And I'm going to need your help, but my job is to help you and my job is to help the team. And so I want to start by just learning what it is, you know, you care about. What do you think your strengths are? What do you want to grow better at? You know, and I just want to listen and figure out how I can best help you and, you know, involve him in that conversation. So it's a little bit more of, of us problem solving and collaborating together and not view it as like, I'm supposed to tell him what to do. I'm supposed to, you know, be able to give feedback on his design skills because that, that wasn't actually realistic for, for that time. Yeah, that's that's really great. And I love that you in your example, it's like just start by asking questions and listening and and, mm-hmm. and hearing from them. That's really great. And showing vulnerability. It's interesting because you you know, you can learn that lesson a couple times and <laughs> more than a couple times in your life that showing vulnerability and not pretending like you have all the answers is actually better. But somehow we gotta keep learning that sometimes. So um mm-hmm. so in your book, you boil down the definition of a manager, you boil it down to one sentence. What is that? So I say that a great manager is someone who can consistently get great outcomes from her team. Mm, I love that. And the key word there being consistently. Mm-hmm. And and outcomes. Because I think, you know, sometimes we have this impression that like, oh, our manager is this 
maybe this advocate for us, someone who's just trying to, you know, help us do better. But actually, that is a huge part of the job. You know, a manager helps coach her reports, but she has to think about, you know, what are those outcomes of like, you know, what is that team able to do now? And sometimes that means, you know, looking at um, things that are beyond an individual. Like sometimes you need to balance out the skill sets on the team by bringing in new people. Sometimes you have to work on process. Sometimes you just have to make sure that everyone is aligned around a common purpose. And, you know, some of this, those things are, are uh, you know, if you don't do those well, they can get in the way of this group of people being able to come together and, you know, achieve their goals. Mm-hmm. And it, I, it doesn't make your manager a mean manager because they're focused on the team's outcomes and not your individual outcome. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, more often than not, they are correlated, but I don't think it's enough to just focus on individual personal outcomes. Mm-hmm. I do think sometimes people can have extremely high expectations for their manager and then they become a manager and they maybe understand it a little bit better. I I don't know if you had that experience at all where once you became a manager, you were like, oh, wow, this is actually a pretty tough job. Absolutely. And it's because, you know, I still think of management as an extremely human endeavor, right? Right. There's no kind of like, okay, here's a black and white, yes or no. It's not like your science, (laughs) you know, you're dealing with different people and different contexts. And so the right answer for what to do, you know, depends a lot on those people that you're involved with in that specific context. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sometimes I'll tell my team, I'll say, you know, I'm doing my best. I'm making the the decision that I think is best for right now based on this information. And there are definitely times where you wish there was a, a manual that came with it that would tell you, you know, do this and then do that. Okay. And lastly, what do new new managers need to know about the quote unquote first three months, which is, I see this a lot in articles online, like, you know, your first 90 days, your first three months to success. So what should new managers be thinking about in those first three months? The first thing is just how do you build uh, great relationships with the people that you're going to be supporting and that you're going to be working with. You know, then this may be your cross-functional partners, but it's definitely also the people that are going to report to you. And the way that you build a great trusting relationship in a work context is not that different than, you know, with, with, you know, your friends or, or people outside of that. You have to ask great questions. You have to help yeah, you, know, you have to understand someone and again, asking questions and truly listening so that you've internalized what they've told you. And I think you have to show care. And, you know, if they tell you this is what they care about, then your actions over time to support that person should feel aligned with, you know, what they told you they've cared about. I think another part of that is also, you know, sharing a little bit more about yourself. Okay. Because that's how relationships are. If you're just, if it's all about the other person, but you're not giving any of yourself, you know, you're not necessarily admitting what your goals are or what your hopes are, what your dreams are, or, you know, even acknowledging maybe your growth areas. It's hard to expect that the other person should, should come clean and, you know, present those vulnerabilities to you. And so, you know, building a trusting relationship is that two way street. And so I tell people in the first 90 days, look, you know, I know you might be excited to come in and just show everyone what you're capable of and maybe how great you are, but, you know, push back on that instinct. Just use the time to listen and learn about all the people that you're going to be supporting and use that as use this time as well to just share a little bit more about yourself. And, you know, by the end of those 90 days, you know, you'll have plenty of time to demonstrate your brilliance and all these ideas and decisions that you want to make down the road, but you've got to start with that trusting foundation. 
Right. I I had a manager who did that in their first 90 days. And I will also tell you, it made me feel really important as the employee. You know, it made me feel like I was being, you know, the person with, you know, I remember he was asking me like, what do you focus on here? And, you know, what are you, what are you personally working toward goal wise? And I just felt really, really important. And I think that's also something where everybody, there's one manager and sometimes a lot of reports and sometimes, you know, you, you, you know that. And so sometimes you don't get their undivided attention as much as you would like or this or that. And so I just remember feeling like, wow, this person really wants to know what I'm working on and they care and they're listening. And that felt really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it also makes it easier for you down the road to be able to, you know, talk about feedback, yeah. receive feedback, give feedback, because, you know, again, you've got that, that foundation of trust. Yeah. I, and I think trust builds respect. And those are all the things you, you know, ideally that lead to a great relationship versus trying to build respect or trust by being like their best buddy. You know, mm-hmm. it's like a lot of people have good, a lot of friends. They, they really want a good manager. There's a quote too that I've heard many times and it's like, I forget it exactly, but it's basically like people leave workplaces because of bad managers, but they also follow good managers. So it's, it's mm-hmm. like that can be a really a big game changer in your career to have a good manager as well. Yeah. And we, you know, we, we absolutely want someone who obviously respects us, but who also can help us, right. right. Who, who kind of pushes us and helps us, you know, become better over time. And I think that's the mark of a great manager is that you look back and you think about this person's impact on your life and you realize that, you know, you have gotten better at these things or been able to take on these opportunities because you had that person who was encouraging you, but also, you know, uh, cheering you on and pushing you when you needed to be pushed. Mm -hmm. I love it. All right. Well, thank you, Julie, for joining us today. Please let everyone know where can they find you, buy your book, if they want, you know, more resources, anything else you would recommend? Yes. So uh, my book is called The Making of a Manager, and it's available now everywhere, you know, on Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, any major retailer. Uh, I've also been blogging for the last five years. My blog is called The Year of the Looking Glass, and I continue to share uh, my reflections and thoughts on, you know, everything from technology and building great products to, you know, leadership and management. My handle is at J-O-U-L-E-E on Twitter, on Instagram, everywhere. And you can learn a lot more about my writing, my blog, and my uh, book on my website, juliezoo.com. And that's Z-H-U-O. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hey there, let's take a quick break to talk about today's sponsor, Vistaprint. Building a business comes with many challenges. One of the biggest challenges, spreading the word. That's why when I first started Career Contessa, I turned to Vistaprint for CC swag like our tumblers with reusable straws and our coveted Career Contessa tote bag. However, the best $10 I ever spent was on my Vistaprint business cards. Here's a little story for you. A lot of people are under the impression that business cards are dead. Well, they couldn't be more wrong. And my Vistaprint business card afforded me a big opportunity, like really, really big. I recently had a 10-minute meet and greet with a news anchor from Good Morning America. It was a very rushed meeting, but I had minutes to pitch myself and Career Contessa before I was ushered out the door. However, I thankfully handed my business card over before leaving. The next day, I received an email from the same news anchor that she was going to mention Career Contessa on Good Morning America. It was our single biggest piece of press up until that point. And the reaction was so far-reaching that it literally broke our website. 
That's right. My old school business card basically broke the internet, you guys. So with Vistaprint, you can create a truly professional and unique card in a matter of minutes. Upload your own design or start from scratch and use Vistaprint's simple tools to create your own look. Pick the paper stock, style, and quantity that's right for you. Lastly, choose your delivery speed and receive your own cards in as little as three days. Once you've created the business card of your dreams, you can keep going and easily create more professional marketing materials going forward with just a few clicks. This makes last minute orders super fast and Visiprint guarantees your 100% satisfaction. They'll always help you make it right either by reprinting your order or offering a refund. And don't forget that that business card can be the make or break for your business just like it was for us. Visiprint wants you to be able to own the now in any situation which is why our listeners will get 500 high-quality custom business cards starting at just $9.99. Go to visiprint.com backslash females. That's a quirky spelling, you guys. It's F-E-M-A-I-L-S. So mail like envelopes and letterheads, things you can get at Visiprint. That's visiprint.com slash females. Visiprint.com slash F-E-M-A-I-L-S. All right, now let's get back to the show. All right, it's that time in the show when we hear real voicemails left by you and do our best to give some real talk career advice. And to help, I've invited Kayleen Cajas, who runs content at Career Contessa, back on the show to give her two cents as well. Today's voicemail is all about should you stick around for a promised promotion, even if your work culture is toxic? Let's see what we think and let's listen in. Hi, my name is Olivia and I work in telecom as a project associate three. Lately, I've been working to get promoted and get to a project management position. Um, And I'm not really sure what I should do when I'm at my job that feels like we have a toxic culture, but I've been promised that promotion. Should I stay and stick it out until the end of the year or should I start looking for something new? Thanks. All right. Well, Olivia, this is a great question that actually had Kayleen and I a little stumped. And now we're going to write an article about it. But uh, Kayleen, why don't you start? Oh, gosh. Well, I'm really sorry that you're experiencing toxic word culture because that's pretty much the worst. But I I think you said something about like you think that your uh, work culture is toxic. So I would guess just making sure that you're kind of running through things and uh, recognizing if it actually is a toxic work culture if you just maybe like don't aren't gelling well with your manager or something like that. So I think first things first is you want to um, identify that's actually toxic. If you're saying it is, it probably is. <laughs> but yeah, if you're if you are calling in to talk about a toxic work culture, then you probably are feeling something. Chances are, right? It's toxic. I would also. I mean, I think about this with like, what's the toxicity level? So I know that sounds kind of negative, but I think about it, you know, like when you go to the doctor and they're like, what's your pain level on a one to 10, 10, you can't stand it. One, it's totally bearable. I would, I would ask the same about the toxicity level there. If if you feel like this is a level 10, you are having, you're developing the Sunday scaries, but it's not just Sunday scaries. It's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday scaries. You are having your health, mental and physical health be affected by this. I I think then the absolute answer is don't wait around for the promotion, you know, get yourself out of there because nothing is worth affecting your health like that. But also 
maybe take a moment to think about like, okay, what is the toxicity level here? Because that can also help to kind of decide, you know, should you go right away or should you maybe have some other things to consider? Right. I I totally agree with that. The other thing I would say is obviously you're, you're maybe sticking around for this promotion, but asking yourself why, like, is that promotion going to lead you to your next opportunity? Do you kind of need that promotion to like, move forward or move upward or however you feel. Cause if, if you can make the moves without it, then my gut reaction is get out of there, like forget the promotion, but it obviously you need to consider what, what the promotion is going to bring you. If it's going to, or, or maybe the promotion changes your situation. Does the promotion change the toxicity of a work culture? Probably right. not, but, but maybe it does. So, yeah. um, realizing why, why you really want that promotion and, and is it worth it? Or is it more worth it to maybe make the make the next move outside of the company and look for that promotion elsewhere? Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I think if you've decided, okay, I need this promotion to do whatever I want to do next, then maybe think about timelines because you said that you've been promised a promotion. And one of the things I would hate to see is, you know, you stick it out and they just like keep you know, promising you like next month, next month, next month, you know, and it keeps going on and on. So thinking back to that toxicity level, if you're somewhere in the the middle range, maybe you give yourself a six month timeline. So I'm going to be having conversations and really working toward that promotion. And if I don't have it by that six months, then I'm definitely going to start looking for something new. Maybe if you end up deciding this is on the, the low range for that level, you give yourself a, a, a one year timeline, which I mean, those those timelines even seem really long to me. So maybe you shorten them to three and six months. But I, I really do think that, Just you know, having making a date to get to exactly. get out. If you because to. otherwise they could tell you that forever. You know, yeah. and there are people who stick around in jobs, you know, like they're promised the promotion or the partnership and they do it for a really long time. And either they get it and it's like they're so burnt out, it doesn't even matter or they get it like way after they were ever promised. Right. I think also another thing you should do is kind of plant the seeds for what you want to do next regardless. That's kind of, you know, tracking your wins, updating your LinkedIn profile, taking stock of the skills you're developing, maybe learning new skills in the meantime. Just because you don't have the, you know, quote unquote promotion doesn't mean you can learn the skills that go along with that to kind of safeguard yourself for when you do make that move. Yeah. I And also while you're, you know, thinking about while you're planting those seeds, also think about maybe, I guess I'm calling them coping skills, but really resources that are going to help you make the best of the situation. I mean, obviously what Kayleen just said is great too, but maybe hiring a career coach or, you know, setting up a, you know, weekly or bi-monthly time where you talk with a trusted advisor would be helpful as well. I think, I think one of the situations that happens with toxic work cultures is that, you know, the data from day to day, things are changing. So having people to talk to about what's happening and their advice is also really helpful. Yeah. It can't always be your mom. Yeah. <laughs> Even though it can be. Yeah. <laughs> she, she handles a lot, but we'll give her a break. <laughs> She's been my trusted work advisor for years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And this is another thing, because I know I've done this. I would fully avoid sticking around till it becomes so toxic that you just end up transitioning to another toxic work culture because you're like, I need to get out of here and I need to get out of here now. And then you just slip right into the same thing. I know I've done that. So it's 
rather than waiting for things to get really bad where you'll jump at any opportunity, it's it's recognizing what made the culture toxic and and avoiding that and, and recognizing those red flags. It's like even in an interview process, yeah. it's if the employer speaks poorly of a past employee or, or current employees, like those are definite red flags and just avoiding those and recognizing those. Absolutely. And um, we actually had a great interview in season two with Candace Morgan, who is head of inclusion and diversity at Pinterest. And she talks a lot about for like at Pinterest, how they hire for values. So they, they don't hire just for culture fit. They do it based off of values. And that's actually something you should listen to that episode. But also when you are looking at whatever company you're going to go to next and job, think about what are their values, kind of like what Kayleen's saying, so that you can do your best to avoid going to work somewhere where it ends up being toxic again, or the people are not a good fit, or they're not aligned with your values. And, you know, you can use that in future interviews, which is really the goal is to make sure that, you know, you can learn from this experience. We, everybody deals with toxicity in the workplace at some point. So um, best case scenario is that you get out, but you also can learn from it and hopefully avoid it in the future. So... Awesome. Well, that's a great question, Olivia. Thank you so much. And thank you to all of you for listening to this episode of The Females. If you want to leave us a voicemail, we'd absolutely love that. Just call 844-FEMALES or that's 844-336-2457. We'll be back next Tuesday to discuss how to stop being a people pleaser. But until then, you can follow us on our new podcast Instagram channel at The Females Podcast. Share this episode with your work wives, leave us a review on iTunes, and listen to this sneak peek of next week's episode. You know, and again, women tend to be over-mentored and under-sponsored. And having career sponsors, that means having somebody in a senior leadership level with the power and influence to, you know, really help you accelerate your career. And so we've got to have those relationships uh, everywhere. And I I think that that'll start to make a difference when, when situations like that happen or help you avoid them.